Have you made an honest review? Jump onto fifthwrist.com and read real takes by real owners about their watches. And of course, get involved and write about what's on your wrist. Fifthwrist.com is your independent space to talk watches. Hello and welcome back to the Rob and the Regulator show on Fifth Wrist Radio. Joined tonight by my co-host, the Watch Regulator. Good evening. How you going? And Excellent. we've got a special guest. We, I'm gonna, oh, you always interrupt me what? when I'm trying to introduce somebody else. And, uh, we've got also got a special guest from Lausanne in Switzerland, which my, was my hometown for a little while. Amir Cindy. Uh, sorry, it's Cindy. Yeah, that's right. I, I, yeah, you got it right. Otherwise known as Horrorphile. Horrorphile on, on, on Instagram. The Horrorphile to you. The, the Horrorphile. Oh, yeah. Horrorphile. We're a horrified Horrorphile on Instagram. Amir is a, a, a well, I'll I let him introduce himself rather than me sort of making stuff up, but we've met probably <laughs> at least, I don't know, 2006, 2007, 14, 15 years we go back. Yeah. We were both living in the same town in Switzerland and uh, he's right into his watches, got an awesome collection, nice guy, uh, blogging, cr- content creating, everything else. Amir, uh, give us a little give us a little intro. Yeah, well, listen, uh, Rob, Alex, thanks for having me all the way down under. I don't know what time it is over there, but it can't be early. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I had the pleasure of meeting Rob. I think it was 2007, the first time we linked up. That was it, must okay. have been It must have been through timezone.com back in the day, you know, before yes. Instagram, before Facebook and all the stuff where us watch geeks were really, uh, how can I say, concentrated into one or two websites and uh, try to make the most of it. But good times, honestly, I think we both, learned a lot during that period we both went on you know to do different things in within uh watchmaking and uh yeah time has flown by not much has changed i'm still in lausanne still in switzerland i'm not swiss in case anyone's wondering i'm originally from saudi arabia but i've been living in switzerland for the past 21 years now so i've been here quite a while um and yeah today i mean i'm, I'm happy to be in a position where I don't. I don't really blog for a living, actually. Like, I'm, and even on Instagram, I've been pretty quiet these last. I'd say I'd, I'd say a few months, but it's probably been two years where I've really calmed down a lot. Um, but today, I'm in a position where I get to like uh, do a bit of consulting for some brands and help them on on their social media platforms by you know managing content creating and all that. So it's kind of fun. You you, you get like a behind the scenes uh, feel of things. You see the pretty and not so pretty side of the industry, but. I still love watches at the end of it, so I guess it's not so bad, right? So you're living the dream then, right? You've got access to, yeah, to the brands I, and they actually <laughs> ask you for advice and stuff? Well, you, you see, the thing is they, they, they don't ask for advice. You just kind of give it to them in the beginning. And then after like a year or two of just, you know, just badgering them with, with, with ideas, maybe they'll take on one or two. And if it works out, then they start to ask for a bit more. But I mean, it, it's kind of tricky because you feel like in the, in the watch industry, typically, I think, you know, the end consumer is probably the person that's listened to the least sometimes. So yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's quite difficult um, in, in the sense that a lot of people working in the industry, let's be honest, I mean, watches isn't really their passion or their thing. It's a, it's a, it's a job like any other job. I mean, we tend to glamorize it and fetishize it a bit. But I mean, for, for, for people, especially here in Switzerland, it's just it's just another career choice among many they could have made back in the day. But, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, we've discussed this, and 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 it's, we've tried to. I've tried to get that across to the Aussies here, you know, who haven't worked in Switzerland. You know how 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 not how bad it is, but how 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 so how much of a pity it is that there's so many people like that, even in Switzerland, within the manufacturers and work for the brands. 
and I, I, I struggle. I, people can't sort of get their head around the fact that people just find watches boring and they're working in the industry. It's it, it all, you know, not boring, but yeah, people aren't into watches. Um, some of them, it unfortunately. Boggles my mind when that. <laughs> yeah, for people to work in a passionate, a passionate industry, but not have have the passion. So you started off as someone who was just super passionate about watches, and now you're in the industry. Does has it affected your passion at all? You find it kind of waning. Well, that's I, I wouldn't say it's waning, but I, I'd say it's definitely sort of transformed and, and mutated over the years. I mean, maybe the most sacrilege thing I'll say here today is that, I mean, I started out working with Hublot, which I mean, you wouldn't necessarily consider a fine watchmaking brand per se. But I mean, back in 2007, at least marketing wise, at least in, in terms of like, you know, pushing certain concepts, you know, the, the all black, all these things they were doing back in the day, it was you know, it made a bit of noise. And I think for a brand that was, you know, relatively non-existent and to, to become, I guess, one of the biggest brands today in such a short period of time taught me a lot. Not necessarily all things I like or that I would like to see applied elsewhere, but it's an industry that's changing. But like most things in Switzerland, they take their time uh, to get change across. <laughs> for me, I think what's really changed is just, you know, ha having worked at Hublot when it was still a family-owned brand and then having left after it was acquired by LVMH and the manpower was like multiplied by, I don't know, six to ten times what it was when I started it definitely gave me a more uh industrial feel to watchmaking which I mean again it's not necessarily a bad thing I mean to, to make watches in any kind of volume requires you know certain industry behind it certain standardization uh optimization of certain processes but I still love watches it's just nowadays I find myself gravitating more towards sort of independent watchmakers micro brands that kind of thing where at the end of the day, I mean, if, if you're shelling out X amount of money, you don't necessarily want to wear the same thing that everybody else has or is lusting after. And and, and this is one of the things I love most, I guess, about Instagram is besides, you know, all, all the people you get to meet, whether virtually or in real life, is just the amount of watches that people can actually get to discover nowadays. Whereas, you know, 10, 15 years ago, a lot of these indie or niche brands stayed just that, like very, very niche. Now I think there's just a bit more acceptance, and yeah, that's that's kind of what I gravitate towards. I mean, I don't I don't really discriminate if a big brand or a group brand makes a nice watch, I might go for it if it's within budget. But otherwise, yeah, I just prefer the whole experience of something that's uh, yeah a bit more artisanal, uh, where you have like direct contact, and that, and that's the thing for me nowadays. I think what's really changed is just the whole, I guess, package of it, the whole experience of it, rather than just the watch. Maybe I'm just a sentimental mush at the end of the day, <laughs> where I love I, I, I love the kind of relationships you can foster. But it's true, like it's it, it's a totally different uh, ball game. And and the really great thing is today, I think, um, compared to like 15 years ago, is that you know independent watchmaking isn't something that's only super expensive and unobtainable for for us mere mortals. I mean, you 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 can get some pretty cool watches out there for the price of like I don't know a Tudor or something like that. And I think. You know, in terms of value, there's there's definitely something there. So I I, I think that would be the biggest change is just uh, realizing that at the end of the day, like any industry, it's an ecosystem. You know, you can't have the small guys if you don't have the big ones. Then if you don't have the big ones, you don't have the supply. So it's just this very delicate ecosystem. Um, and I I guess I have a thing for like anything that's sort of underground or. As Max Busser once told me, I mean, I'm, I'm just attracted to starving artists in a sense. So <laughs> it's. But it, it, it's, it's different. God, I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation already. But we're going to get back to that. But first, we're 17 minutes in. We haven't done a wrist check. 
Um, and <laughs> I was about than, to say, I kept on thinking, I need to say, but I was enjoying the conversation well, so much. Yeah, well, hold that thought. I like, ruin the flow. <laughs> We're not going to ruin the flow. Yeah, he's got plenty more flow there. But what are you? What, what are you drinking? It's what two in the afternoon in Lausanne. It's a hot summer's day. It's really hot. Really hot for Switzerland or really, really hot? Well, I think we're looking at 30 degrees today, probably 37 on Thursday in Geneva, which, I mean, for the rest of the world, listen, I'm from Saudi Arabia. It is like winter for us, but for Switzerland, <laughs> it's, 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 it's pretty harsh, you know? And, and again, like just, you know, add to that the discomfort of having to, you know, wear masks everywhere when you go out and stuff. It's just not a, it's not, it's not uh, a very pleasant right. summer so far, but we're, we're making the most of it. So yeah, I'm just sipping on an aloe vera juice, actually. <laughs> Oh, nice and refreshing. Juice. Yeah, it's good stuff. And it's got little chunks of aloe vera in it. So. Ah, okay. Like yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Very healthy. I, I'm feeling well, ashamed. I'm sure there's a lot of added sugar in it, but hey, how about, how about, I'm not checking. I'm not counting calories. It's fine. Okay, aloe vera juice. That's that's a new one for us. We haven't had that on the show. Don't before. <laughs> we that's haven't. Good. Tick that off. Yeah, tick yep, that off. Done. Aloe vera juice. Yeah. Amir, have you done a podcast before? You've done plenty of podcasts, or you've I done. Can, a... You know what? This is my first podcast ever. So. Excellent! Another one. Another one. We've we've, we've been my clocking chair. up. Was, the... I, I think it's only fair because because you know about thirteen years ago I popped Rob's hummus cherry, so it's only right that he pops my podcast. <laughs> <God's sake. laughs> true yeah, story. True that. You know, um, well, there's another point. Oh, I'm making note of that. Okay. What are you drinking, Alex? A, a pint of something? Yeah, pint of red. A pint of red. Uh, yeah, yeah. He does this. Yeah. Um, Shiraz, Cresswell Wines. I, I love that with yeah. the accent, a good Shiraz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a bit, yeah, you don't have it quite as much in Switzerland, do you? The old Sicha. From where? Creswell, what did you say? What is it? Creswell Wines. Yeah. Was it South, South Australia, Australia, Victoria? South Australia, okay. Yeah. South okay, Australia. At, least it's, yeah. at least it's South Australia. Yeah, okay. It's my usual junk wine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm a, he only drinks stuff in pints, anything in pints, scotch, <laughs> uh, gin and tonic, red wine, white wine, pints. I don't think you drink white wine, do you? Alex, I'm not sure. Anyway. I've actually got some white wine that I'm I'm saving for someone who might be coming on the podcast. And it's a good bottle of wine that I'm saving. Ooh, okay. You're not, not that you're not a special guest, I'm here, but... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I would, next time you come on, I will have aloe... Well, I'll get my drink out of the way that we can move on to watches. I'm, I'm drinking an assay dry black. Sorry, assay black here, which is yeah, dry, I call it. But um, that's the black one from assay. It's nice. Um, I've got a. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure if you meant assay the beer or assay the, you know, the, 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 the typical like influencer superfood. Yeah, kind no, of no. Thing, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. Just beer. Nothing. It's Japanese beer. Nothing special. And, um, so what are you wearing? And now I like your collection, and I've seen some of them, and um, follow a little bit the building of some of it earlier on with your purple pieces. Not all purple, but yeah, a few of them. Mostly. Uh, what are you wearing oh, now? I'm actually, you know, I, I forgot about this this part of the podcast. So I have. Uh, a, I, I tend to no no no, but listen listen, I tend to sleep with my watches, right? And, you know, it's a watchmaker holidays this week, so I've been you know I've, I've been slacking a bit, sleeping late, playing a lot of Call of Duty. And I do have one watch that's been my sort of Call of Duty lucky charm these last few days. It's a it's, it's one I actually haven't posted yet on Instagram. It's, it's actually my latest uh, acquisition, Ooh. I would say. Nothing too fancy. It's this brand called Loomtech. Loomtech. Yeah, I'm okay. not even sure. Yeah, I, I think it's American. It's Don't American, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think, think so. It's, American. it's your military. It's your soldier watch. Your 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 soldier when you're being it, it a soldier. It is. And 
they're pretty popular in the Middle East because I guess you have some rulers there who commission, I don't know, some pieces or series, very military. Uh, and this one was done like with a Damascus steel dial with like a, with a Cali dial with Roman and Eastern Arabic oh. numerals. It's very military, but yeah, it just gets me into the Call of Duty. Uh, <laughs> just so, Does it give so, you an advantage when playing Call of Duty? Listen, I'll, I'll be happy to share with you my scoreboard, but I've had a pretty good kill-death <laughs> ratio lately. <laughs> I mean, the lucky streak yesterday where, you know, it was like a ratio of three and over uh, for like a few consecutive matches. So, yeah, I'd say it's doing the job. <laughs> okay, it's a lucky charm. <laughs> it works. Okay. It's, it's a fun watch. I mean, it, it's kind of big, bigger than what I'd normally like. It looks smaller in the photos. I'm not going to lie. I bought it sight unseen from, a, from an online shop in Bahrain of all places. Project 8, good guys, uh, specializing in like indies and micro brands. Sorry, I had to throw a little plug in there. Um, but yeah, I saw it. And it. I mean, it was relatively affordable and why not? Could be a cool summer watch. And I quite like it. Uh, Swiss movement, uh, like black PVD case, Damascus steel dial. And the Loom on it, I mean, it lives up to the name, Loom Tech. So the Loom, I don't know what they're using. I, I don't think they use Super Luminova. That's the thing. I think they're using something else. And it's it's pretty bright. And I like it that you have the numerals as well as the rail uh, around that's also luminescent. So yeah, it's a fun watch. It's a fun watch. See, I would think all that Loom would give your position away if you're like sniping or something. You don't want that much Loom. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess. Don't know I if you're taking Call of Duty seriously enough, but okay. <laughs> but I, 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 usually, yeah, I, I'm actually usually a target of snipers because I'm kind of ADHD in that game where I can never like just sit still and you know camp somewhere and just wait. I, I'm the guy who's running around the whole level. You know, I have like the sprint <laughs> option on, so like you okay. can just keep. <laughs> so it's fine. I'm, I'm not going for stealth. You know, no suppressors, no silencers. You know, there's no purple in that watch, right? No, but you know what? I did. I did buy the pack on Call of Duty where you have. Have, like purple tracer shots so you know when i'm out there <laughs> shooting people like <laughs> there's like a purple afterglow and yeah <laughs> so, oh my goodness it's stupid yeah <laughs> no, that, it's, definitely it's not different. stealth but <laughs> fair enough no, it's fun listen to you it's fun I mean, this is kind of my sweet spot, though. Honestly, like, and the thing for me is, like, I, I, I find that I rarely wear, like, the more high-end stuff. I mean, I, I love a good tool watch nowadays. So, like, honestly, like, six out of seven days, I'm probably wearing, like, a Laventure. I, I, I got a couple of those because I loved it so much, and, and the build quality was so far exceeding what, what you'd expect in that price range. I, I stocked up on them. So one of them sort of became my chemistry lab watch, the bronze one, where it's probably been through I don't know how many different acid baths, you know, using household ingredients, you know, <laughs> a, a bit of bleach, a bit of vinegar. The sad thing is now it looks nothing like it did when it was new in the sense that it's lost all like surface finishes. There's no more brushing or polishing. It's just one big block <laughs> okay. of brown and blue. And But yeah, like I, I love tool watches. I mean, I'm a clumsy guy and I tend to do everything with the watches, shower, uh, sleep. Just about anything. Cook. We'll get back to that because I want to. I want to. We'll mention that one again. That 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 love on tour. I love them. Um, what are you wearing, Alex? Just to quickly, <laughs> to think that I was searching wildly for a purple watch in oh. the watch collection, <laughs> and I was asking people because I'm colorblind, and I was saying, "Is this watch purple?" And they're saying, "No, Alex, that one's blue." <laughs> what about this one? No, it's a different shade of blue. I'm, come on, I must have a purple watch someplace. Like I've got a guest coming on the podcast who's into purple watches. I have to have one someplace. I don't. I don't. I don't have a purple watch, so I'm kind of glad I didn't. I didn't find one because you don't have one on. So I'm just back to my uh, the G-Shock that you convinced oh, me to buy. Oh, the G-Shock. I still can't remember the number on it. The GBX100. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> 
What is it? A GBX one hundred. It's a GBX one hundred. First G Shock. I got we, it because Rob. We but we got a group buy. We did a little little team thing. It's a team watch. <laughs> it's the it's the it's a G Shock GBX one hundred Glide or something. Rather, it's like a blue teal looking color one. If you if you Google it, you'll you'll see it. Should have got one in purple. It would have been great. They're, no, there's that. They have black, white, or this color, our color, the Geneva blue but this color. This is my first I'm just look G Shock. First G Shock and first digital watch that I've had, I think, in 30 years or something. Same. Is... Same. Yeah. It's, uh, we're not really into digital watches. I'm getting so um... much attention at work because everyone's so used to me wearing mechanical watches, but they keep on coming over to me and going, Oh, you're wearing a G Shock. Okay. <laughs> so people don't normally bother if I'm wearing anything mechanical, but yeah, now that yeah, I'm wearing a G Shock, right. people at work are asking about it. Oh, G Shocks are awesome. The last one I got was the full metal jacket, the first first one they did uh, last year, I think. Yeah, Pretty okay. Pretty cool. I've never worn it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know which one I do wear from time to time? I have a, it was a Transformers edition from, yeah, probably Ooh. over like 10 years ago. So it was the Decepticons one, obviously, because that's, that's always been a big influence for all things purple for me. It was just, you know, the Decepticons. And it's pretty cool because you push the light button and you get the Decepticons logo. So it's, yeah. <laughs> it's fun. No, but you yeah, right. awesome. I mean, like, can't go wrong. Well, I'll, I'll go get mine out of the way, then we can get back to the real the conversation. I've been wearing a um, a Graham Chrono Fighter oversize for some reason. Is that the one with like the grenade thing on the crown, like the? Yeah, exactly. The big fat handle on the on the left. Um, actually, I oh know. Yeah, it's working. I thought it wasn't working for a while there. So you've not seen it, Alex? No, I think I have seen it on your website. Did you have it for sale? Yeah, it's or... the one for sale. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's, it is for sale, actually. And I, I just put a new strap on it. I've, I want to go and get it. I was talking to Adam today, you know, a mutual friend here in... Well, I mean, no, I, I got a friend here in Perth, a watchmaker. I need to get it. Uh, he's going to do a polish on it for me. So, um, or for the owner. I'm selling it for somebody else, for a mate. Anyway, yeah, it's it's a big fat one. It's, it's a lefty, you know, with the big crown and the big yeah grenade-looking handle pusher thing. It's kind of cool though. For a Graham, this is probably the it's one that's the, the most retro. You know, it's it's got the the concave bezel and the big luminous numbers. Anyway, it's mm. it's forty six mil. It's not it's not small, but um, Jesus. Yeah, well, you know. Um. Okay, that's it. Okay, back to um. <laughs> the, okay, where were we before? Well, you're just talking about love on tour. You you got the GMT right? Which GMT did you get, or both of them? <laughs> Don't tell well, me. Well, the, the thing is, honestly, like, I, yeah, I did, I did. <laughs> uh, and the thing is, it's like you know, and I have, I, I try to have a rule where, like, you know, I, I like variety, so I don't like to buy too many of the same watches from from a single brand, right? Like, so. But the thing with Leventure is, honestly, th- these are gonna be my fifth and sixth ones. Um, and the thing is, I told myself this time, okay, just stick to one. You don't really need to. You know, you're not gonna wear both of them. But I saw them both in real life. The prototypes, like like two days before he launched them and I just couldn't decide. So I told him, put me down for both. And I don't regret the decision, honestly, especially now that he's come out, you know, with integrated bracelet and also the colored rubber straps. I think he can, they, they can take on pretty different looks. And honestly, like as far as, I mean, I, I feel bad even calling them tool watches because they're just too damn well made to be tool watches. Like they, for, for me, honestly, they, they, they blow out a lot of other similarly pl- priced big brands uh, completely out of the water. And I, I tend to baby them a bit, but the GMT was just so well done. And I'm not the only one who bought both of them, by the way. Like, I have a couple of friends who also couldn't decide, and they all <laughs> went for for two. And I'm kind of happy. I mean, you know, they sold out in, what, like about a day? 
Yeah, um, less than 24 hours last. anyway. And yeah, it, it, it's a great watch. It's just funny seeing that, you know, people, the same people who are criticizing the first one, oh, it looks like a Nautilus, Royal Oak, uh, Panerai, Frankenstein thing, are the same ones who end up buying multiple ones, you know, a few years later. <laughs> I think uh, The thing is, when you're wearing it, you're really not thinking of a Nautilus or any of those kind of watches. That's um, the thing. And there's just so much attention to detail. It's uh, It's incredible. I think it's kind of different for, for, for you and I as well. We, we know Clement. You know, it's all, this is what I keep saying, different, different brands pop up. Oh, yeah, you know the guy behind it makes a massive difference, right? Um, you know the guy making it. You know the guy, what, what he's gone through to do it. And, yeah, it is one of my favorite little brands. You had some of them in Melbourne, didn't you, Rob? I had a couple in Melbourne. I've got one left, and it's probably the last one in the world for my listeners. Blue Dial. Um, <laughs> Blue Dial Sumarine. With with um, in steel, with it, there's none left. They're all sold, and the GMT that he just launched, they all sold out really quickly. So they're really taking off. So um, I'm hoping. I that, love the um, bezel in that GMT. Is no, it's it's, it's really a cracker. Gorgeous. I love the, the yeah. green dial one. If you, if, you, if you want to know which one, you can sell me the green dial one anytime. I'm here, so let me know. <laughs> um, <laughs> what other what other you, yeah, do you have? <laughs> um, so micro brow small brands what are your, what are your favorites apart from that and not yeah um i know you like landy blue whatever else i love landy blue honestly and that's another brand i'll probably end up uh one day with probably multiple uh pieces of their fine work and i'll tell you why i mean like i i met the guys when was it like maybe two years ago at basil i think it was basil 2018 if i'm not mistaken anyways and i i saw this stuff i mean okay i was like not bad i really like their stone dials i love their enamel dials um and i've wanted this, a particular stone dial since the days when jackie draw was actually a thing like we're talking 2006 2007 they were working with a stone cutter it's like a father and son kind of company that basically used to do all the stone dials for like piaget for Audemars piguet for basically any brand that was doing like lapis and malachite dials back in the day but of course, Jack Hedro being Jack Hedro, they'd charge like 30,000 francs for, for a watch with <laughs> one of those dials. Whereas Landy Blue were proposing it for almost a tenth of the price. Um, so it was kind of a no-brainer and it was kind of cool. I mean, you know, whereas big brands would be super secretive about who they're working with and stuff, the guys from Landy Blue were like, okay, well, we're going to go visit the Stonecutter in, you know, about a week's time. If you want to come, you're more than welcome. And it was such oh, really? a thrill. I mean, I saw stuff I didn't even know existed. I mean, some, you know, mineral stones that look like something from a like low budget sci-fi movie like it it was pretty mind-blowing and then you know me being me i mean i wanted uh spectralite which some people call labradorite but it's like a different grade of the same stone but anyways it usually comes in blue and green tones and occasionally it comes in violet and of course me being me it had to be purple and it took about a year to find the right slab of stone basically and, you know, a lot of back and forth, they'd show me every time they, they'd get a, like a, a sample if it's good enough or no. And, and I just love, again, the, the, the patience they had working with me and, and yeah, like the, the actual wash, the, the price point. I mean, I, I really couldn't ask for more. So I, I love what Landy Blue is doing. I mean, I think, again, like today we're quite lucky that you can get something that's quote unquote artisanal, handmade, uh, even if it's not the whole watch, but at least something in it is handmade, which is a lot more than I can say for a lot of big brands. Um, and to get that at a price point, which I think is still relatively accessible, I think, you know, we're, we're living in pretty good times to be a, a, a watch geek. So definitely love what Landy Blue is doing. Um, Sartre Ribillard, 
up and coming. Oh, yeah. Uh, they started off as two guys, but I think now they're only down to one. I don't know what happened with the with the with the Sartori, but Villar is still there, uh, and I love what he's doing as well. So he's like a self-taught watchmaker. He used to be an architect slash, I guess, designer that sold his company and kind of got bored. I guess decided to go into watches, and yeah, there's definitely a learning curve, but but he's he's catching on fast, and I love that he's proposing Have like again that like stuff, that handmade Alex? feel. No, no. Sorry, I'm trying to have I was going to. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go on. I was was curious. Yeah. Um, you, you we keep popping up with these names and guys here sometimes have no clue what we're talking about. But um, yeah, you know, I I get that. <laughs> but again, I did this, this interesting thing is that like, you know, a lot of these guys like Landy Bleu, like the Sartre VR uh, brand. I mean, they're they're making like what maybe fifty to a hundred watches a year at price points that are fairly accessible. I think again for what it is. And they have no intention of scaling up or, you know, getting investors and expanding their operations. They're happy doing what they're doing. So, like, we did the uh, Sartre-Rivière collab. We dropped it, I think, uh, I think it was towards the end of last year or beginning of this year. I honestly don't remember. It was it was pre-COVID anyways. Uh, <laughs> it was another world ago. Um, and, yeah, like, at, at the time, I think he was just slowly getting his name out and now he's like booked production wise for the next year or so so i'm, I'm kind of happy that you know that project was able to translate to more and, and that's really the intention i mean with, with this edition honestly i made zero uh money out of it i mean i made zero profit or revenue it wasn't the intention it's never the intention honestly like for me it's just it's kind of fun to be like a precursor for you know someone or something where you know it has potential and it just needs that bit of visibility uh or that slight kick in the butt to to get their asses moving but uh so and again at least i can say okay even if i don't post that much for me like that's more gratifying than anything is like okay like this 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 guy was doing good work but nobody noticed and then thanks in part to this collab now people are interested so i'm happy to just you know play that small role and uh yeah getting people really into some of these micro brands because again like we talk about independence, but I think for me, there there really shouldn't be that much of a distinction between you know a, a so-called micro brand and a super high-end indie brand. The the approach is the same, the price point and obviously the the the, the know-how and the movement and all that. Of course, it changes, but I mean the approach is the same. Where it's uh, small production, artisanal, and uh, yeah, it's not, it's definitely something you're probably never gonna see in the wild on anyone's wrist. And I think for me, that's really the appeal. Yeah, and, and I think nowadays there's less of a stigma around buying something that you've never heard of or never seen. I mean, th that's really like goes to show the power of a platform like like Instagram and uh, yeah, and, and how it can really change the game for for a lot of these small guys. And I, I'm sure in the coming years we're still going to see more and more micro brands bringing you know even more like value for money to the table. And I think that's definitely something where you know big brands can learn a thing or two. It's uh, it's quite, it's quite mind-boggling sometimes, actually. Like Alex, you got any questions? You you going away? You going to you, you're not going to sleep? I'm just you. looking. At, actually, I did. I, no, actually, I, I did see that watch today. I was watching your YouTube video with Swiss, Swiss watch, watch gang because we actually we had him on the yeah, podcast on I listened on to one it. of our other. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I was watching your YouTube video today, and I was kind of going through all your all the different different watches the one that i so i was watching the yeah watching videos and then you would mention a watch and show show a picture then i'd go away and do some or try and do some research while i was eating my cheese sandwich today but the um the one that really got me which yeah it was really such a startling looking watch is the the gos oh yeah or the yeah 
I just oh, yeah. it, when got, you were yeah. when you were describing <laughs> it and then to see it, it's it's do you want to tell people a bit a bit about that? Yeah. So GOS. Uh so Swedish brand goes by Gustafsson and Sjögren. And I guess in Swedish the O is kind of the end character that we have, but anyways. Um, so basically, it started as a bladesmith who had actually known about before uh, discovering the watch brand. So Johan Gustafsson is probably the best or one of the best bladesmiths that specializes in what we call like mosaic Damascus steel, which is, I mean, we, we all kind of know Dam- Damascus steel. You know, you have these nice, beautiful patterns and stuff. Uh, Johan takes it a bit further by color tempering the, the, the steel and whatever other metals are in there to get different colors out. So that's really his, his specialty. And he teamed up with uh, Patrick Sugar and they, they created this watch brand together. So you have like a, a watchmaker and a bladesmith. And so most of their watches go around this, yeah, the Damascus steel, but always with a sort of Viking inspiration. And I'm, I'm a bit of a metalhead, uh, specifically like Scandinavian, or should I say Nordic, so my Finnish buddies don't get upset. Let's say Nordic metal band. And obviously there's a big like Viking theme that's, uh, that's present in a lot of it. And I, I just love, listen, I, I love the guy behind it. I mean, I, I've never met Johan, but I've met Patrick for years and years, every year at Baselworld. I've always loved his work, but the, the, the price point was kind of out of my reach for, for quite a while. And then he came out with this model, uh, the Sarek, which was, yeah, I guess a bit simple in terms of execution. So this, the, the case is just regular steel, but it's all about the dial. You have this beautiful damascus dial and we decided again like to do something purple which he had never done before because y- you never know how the the, the steel uh, is going to react once you like flame heat it but the end result i quite like he showed me the dial i'm like i want it let's do it so it, it's a pretty sick watch i mean it, it's it's really the watch i think i have that's the most difficult to sort of portray through photos because yeah the damascus steel really is almost like this liquid metal kind of thing and uh yeah it's... yeah i mean when i'm looking at i'm looking at it just now and if you're saying that's a difficult one to to fully capture in photographs, I can't imagine it looking any any better than it looks just now. Because when I'm looking at the dial, it almost looks like one of those things where they've sent some satellite with a a telescope on it, and it's going to look at some kind of far off planet, and they're <laughs> zooming in down on some kind it's, of storm. It's, it's, and a, it's very it's topographical. It, yeah. it definitely is. I mean, it, it, if I'm not mistaken, it was inspired by the Sarik National Park uh, in northern Sweden, where you have a lot of like meandering rivers and ponds and all that. I mean, the typical sort of Nordic fairy tale uh, landscape. But uh, yeah, it's definitely kind of out of this world. And it's funny because in the photos, I mean, I'm, I'm always trying to bring out the purple, but depending on the light, it goes from like an, a totally like maroon, almost monochromatic thing. And then suddenly, yeah, you get light at the right angle and it just uh, comes to life. And I, I, I think that's really like something I, I look for in, in a lot of dials is just having something that, that's a bit animated while not being animated, if that makes sense. I think it's such an exciting project as well, having a, someone who makes knives and someone that makes watches come together to make something really special like that is... Yeah, I mean, that's, it just goes to show, I mean, how far and wide the world of like indie watchmakers can go. And again, like... I think they're happy making 20, 25, maximum maybe 50 watches a year, if even that. But they still got, you know, uh, their core group of collectors and buyers. And yeah, it seems to be working out. I mean, they've been doing this for maybe 10 years or more by now. Who knows? For the same price point, what could you get from one of the mainstream big brands? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 
to put this into kind of perspective for people that want to go and have a look at this and see what they can get instead of a yeah i mean probably i can say i mean probably around the same price point as like i don't know maybe a limited edition omega speedmaster or a rolex gmt2 at retail of course yeah. <laughs> or uh, a very mundane IWC or JLC. Nothing against those brands, but I mean, yeah. Like, so you're looking at probably like, yeah, a, a three-hand watch or small complication from, from one of the high-end brands or something. Uh, so again, it's, it's not more expensive than a big brand, but somehow, uh, you know, I think there's a bit more work. And I mean, even the dial, if you look at it, like on the rotor, we did a similar treatment and they had never done that before where we have the, the actual like mass or the thing around the rotor in the same purple steel as the dial so again little attention to detail it took i don't know maybe six months from start to finish i couldn't go to sweden to pick it up in person but my sister lives there so she got to meet the watchmaker and practiced her swedish on him and <laughs> <laughs> so it's it, it just kind of adds to like the whole yeah package of the watch I, I didn't just go to a boutique and put out a credit card and that was that you know the thing is, you 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 met you met Patrick, and we, we, you, he's just such a lot nice guy as well. You can sit down with him, talk to him at Basel with his little you know desk, the table there. They just they're just nice guys, and he'll 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 go he'll he'll give his time. And it's <laughs> I've said I said this over and over again. I keep banging on about meeting the guys, the guys behind the brands. Basically, that's what that's what he's like, and that's what they're like. And the, the stuff they do is amazing. Some of the some of the some of the Damascus type stuff they do, it's just awesome. And yours is a bit special. Yeah. It, it's definitely special, but I'm, but I'm happy because, again, like after I did mine, then a friend of mine from Abu Dhabi wanted to do one as well in a different color. So, like, again, like, I'm happy that I'm able to use Instagram, I guess, to fight the good fight, I'd say, rather than just, uh, you know, my own selfish needs and ego. And <laughs> so, I, 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 it's like this, you know, this fight that, you know, <laughs> you have no chance of actually winning. I mean, what is winning, anyways, in the end? <laughs> Is just trying to like you know you know fight the good fight and you know give the people and the you know artists who deserve the attention a bit more attention because God knows that they're not getting it in a lot of other places for free you know that that that's kind of how it works for me I mean and that's the thing I mean I I like odd things I like obscure things and um, yeah I I like being the one who kind of I wouldn't say discovered this or that watchmaker but at least sort of yeah gave them a bit more attention and yeah maybe a whole new audience that never knew they existed i mean that's the thing rob i mean we forget that people like us i mean we see watches day in day out especially us too that we live in switzerland i mean uh we kind of take these things for granted where you know you can go out to dinner and hey well, look there's this guy who works in that brand or you know it's, it's a relatively small country and it's a <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know relatively small industry as well so like but for everybody else i mean uh I wish that they could like sort of get in on that experience of, okay, like take the risk. Don't be shy. You know, he's a watchmaker. He's not going to bite you. Like just send him a DM, <laughs> send him an email and, and see where it takes you. I mean, and for a lot of people, the first time is usually the hardest because they're shy. And, and this is where you realize that a lot of people actually don't know what they like. Because if, if you give someone like a blank canvas, okay, you know, th this is this brand. They do this, this and that. Uh, why don't you design your own watch? People, you'd, you'd be surprised if people would be pretty dumbfound. Like they don't even know what <laughs> colors they want or what, like, <laughs> and, and and that's where it becomes a good exercise for them is to really discover actually what it is they like by by working on like a special project or a special piece. So yeah, like uh, that's that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Even though <laughs> there's no real objective in it or you know no no personal interest in it is just uh, yeah I, I I enjoy seeing you know friends and and stuff wearing you know like GOS Sarpaneva all these kind of brands. It's uh it's pretty cool.
have you ever had any friends that you tried to convert over to the to the dark this side. kind of side of things <laughs> and and then they've been like no nah, no nah, i'm just gonna stick with a a daytona or you spent because what i'm getting from you is that you're enjoying the educational part of things like educating people and then expanding their mind a little bit and i know i try and do that just with getting people into watches in, in general but have you ever kind of spent a lot of time trying to get someone to to get something a bit different and then they've just gone no i'm just going to get the daytona or the gmt master <laughs> oh yeah i mean sadly uh, more often than not um and and that's kind of the double-edged sword that a platform like instagram is because in the beginning um I think people are a bit more open to certain things up to a certain price point. I mean, if you look at how well brands like Seven Friday did when they launched, it kind of says a lot where people, okay, they they can appreciate a a design that's different if the price is right. But once you get to a certain price point, they start making comparisons. Oh, but that's the same price as a Rolex or that's the same price as a Royal Oak or a Richard Neal. And unfortunately, nowadays, I feel like, you know, the, the, the importance of like resale or residual value is a bit too important for a lot of people. And I'm not going to say like a Daytona was ever easy to get your hands on. It was always a, a you know a coveted watch, but it was never like this. I mean, even, even Richard Mille, once upon a time, they were selling them to journalists at like 60 off just so someone would show it and post it around. This was you know, at the beginning of the brand. And then today, like, you know, you're talking about premiums on a watch that's already, I mean, sorry to say, but that's already relatively overpriced, I mean, <laughs> in my point of view anyways. And, and it's kind of funny where, you know, People are after the hype. People somehow want to all own the same things. And it's okay. I mean, I'm patient with them. I'll let them do it for a while. Eventually, they might come around. Some maybe never will because we're not all into watches for the same reasons, right? So, like, I can't really judge. True. But all I can do is try to nudge them in the right direction. And maybe one day they'll take a bite. I mean, and it's okay. I mean, the thing is, like, with a brand like Laventure today, that could be their first indie or micro brand or whatever you want to call it. And then from then on, they might really get into it and appreciate the fact that they have something that, you know, maybe their peers and colleagues look at, oh, what's that? And yeah, this idea of having something that's very original, uh, very different, and that you're not going to see on anyone else. I mean, for me, that's, that's, that's probably more luxurious than something that's made in a hundred or two hundred thousand examples a year and that you're still having to beg your authorized retailer to get so it's just <laughs> it, it, different priorities i guess but with time it changes i mean i'm not gonna lie I, I bought the pepsi uh you know the rolex pepsi last year i wear it from time to time i feel like a pretentious prick when i do but uh, <laughs> but sometimes it's nice to feel like a pretentious prick you know <laughs> i guess that helps you appreciate your other stuff though right exactly you go, and exactly. then you go back and you're like actually i was doing the right thing where I guess it's going to be more difficult to convert people if they say, oh, but I want a Pepsi. And you say, like, I've got a Pepsi, but I hardly ever wear it because I love all this other stuff. No, but it's true. Like, I, 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 honestly, I wore it yesterday just for like an hour or two, and it was just too shiny. I put it back in the drawer and, and put on this Loom Tech. But I, I still enjoy it. It's a great watch. But like, I, you know what? You know, if you had asked me this maybe a year or two years ago, I probably would have been a bit more extremist in my approach. You know, like screw all the big brands, indies only. And I think now I have found a certain middle ground and a bit of yeah. Getting old, mate. We're getting old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, enjoy what you enjoy. I mean, and, and if you're buying for resale value, then I kind of feel sorry for you. But otherwise, I mean, don't don't just buy something because everybody says you should. 
like try it on you know if you like it go for it if not then you know there's so much choice out there there's probably too much choice nowadays no, i was gonna say about the the the, the resale people i hate it how people expect their watch to appreciate you know and, and that's what we were talking about the other day with who who we have on the other day um scaramanga i think or someone um oh, yeah, saying yeah. you know people shouldn't expect i mean you, you don't buy a car and expect it to appreciate well unless you buy you know something special but you know, you, you people people have got to get get out of this mindset of expecting a watch to appreciate, buy it and enjoy it, and then you know, either keep it or sell it. But don't expect to sell it for a profit. That's what people just got the whole wrong idea, and it's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's not going to happen with the independents or the, the little micro brands, but you, they're much more enjoyable. Oh, definitely, it, it's a different kind of pleasure and thrill. And I think again, it's not it's not to sound pretentious, but I think it's one of those things where after you've done the tour of you know this or that big brand, and you've gotten one or two of the so-called iconic pieces off your list then you know you, you'll either go down the route of okay i need every rolex references or you know like i need 20 different royal oaks <laughs> or you're gonna be a bit like me and try to yeah take the path less uh, traveled i guess and i don't know it's just personal experience but for me it's been so much more rewarding than you know the the whole hustle of you know where and what do i have to do to get this watch that you know is already everywhere anyways but somehow artificial scarcity makes it so that you know it's uh it's like a holy grail even though once you get it you 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 probably end up somehow underwhelmed like was it worth the hype was it worth all the butt kissing at the retailer like <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing i mean it's not that i have anything against retailers i love my local retailer <laughs> if he's listening but <laughs> but, but i mean Again, it's like for me, it's a bit like art. It's it's a bit like the difference between buying, I don't know, a print edition from an artist or commission commissioning a, a piece just for you. Like it's really just a different approach. And I mean, I think there's space for both in any collector's journey. It, it is just for me, from what I enjoy and what I look for out of this hobby, it's definitely more uh, to be found among the independents. And yeah, simple as that. I guess we're all into watches at the end of the day. There might be different kind of subsections within this kind of sick hobby of ours but like there's people I talk to and they're into different kind of watches than I'm into but that's definitely the kind of thing that unites us and there's definitely definitely room for people moving from one section into the next and I know lots of guys from our crew started off with modern stuff and big name stuff then they got into vintage and now they're looking at independence so there's definitely room for movement and i think that's it's good that we're inclusive like that that it's not okay you have yeah whatever you've got a daytona or you've got a patek then like you're not a real watch person like everyone's very fluid about what they're into and everyone's quite honest about their journey everyone starts off with a tag by the sounds of things or a swatch watch and there's all these different steps along the way and it's it's nice being part of that with your friends yeah for sure and i think that, that was probably my mistake once upon a time and again like having i'd say grown up on a website like timezone.com back then where to be honest like a lot of the people thought that there was a sort of pathway to collecting like okay you start with like you know let's say i don't know a tag okay we, we all probably started with a swatch or g-shock or timex um and then after that you go for a tag or an omega then you go for a rolex and then like they almost made it seem like there was this ladder of you know watch collecting that you know you have to have this this and that before you can get to the next level and then you know you need a dress watch you need a sports watch you need a, like and and i kind of fell into that for a while and then like i look at my collection as it's it's not me you know it's uh 
it looks good on paper and I'm happy to see it on someone else, but it just wasn't me. So I ended up selling quite a few pieces and yeah, just, uh, just buying what I like, even though it's super risky. I mean, you know, you'd have a much harder time selling like a purple dial GOS if you ever needed to than a, than a standard <laughs> IWC, for example. But, you know, at the end of the day, like I'm not buying on planning to resell. So it's it, it's worked out fine so far. But uh, yeah, like for, for, for me, every watch I buy is a keeper. I mean, I, I never bought anything with the intention of selling it. But sometimes, you know, you buy something, you fall out of love with it after a while or your taste evolves. Um, or, you know, sometimes you have a sour experience with the brand and it kind of puts you off and... I I, I, t- I tend to take things a bit personally in that respect. So, but this is what I love about the indies. I mean, like you know, with, with an indie, you know, things aren't going to dramatically change every two three years once they you know rotate CEOs from one brand to another, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, yeah, it's just this whole personal thing that I think people should really, yeah, give it a shot. Exactly. But we'll see. There's no right or wrong. There's no. I mean. I can't really say there's a good or bad wash. You know, just buy what you like, wear it. Don't think about resale. You never know. I mean, I, I've had a few surprises in, in the last year. Like, there was a, a Zenith, or Zenith, I don't know how we pronounce it. Zenith, let's say. Yeah. There was a Zenith, they, yeah, there was a, okay, Zenith, whatever. Zenith à la française. Uh, yeah, so there was a Zenith <laughs> that came out towards the end of last year, though, for the Japan boutique only, or it was a Japan edition only. And I, I completely loved it. So it was like based on a watch that had somehow appeared in a manga and anime series like in the 70s, I guess. Oh, really? So it was, a, it was a fictional watch, but it was based on a Zenith. And even in the manga, like there's a close up on it where they had blacked out the Z and the H in Zenith to avoid any copyright problems. So the case was of an existing model, but they had a different dial and it looked really cool in the manga. And anyways, after like, I don't know how many years they decided to do it. And it was such a nightmare getting my hands on it because Zenith HQ didn't really want to help out in, in sourcing one <laughs> even in Japan. So, you know, luckily somebody put me in touch with the boutique manager there. And after a few Google Translate emails back and forth, uh, the deal was done. Of course, I had to pay double VAT in Japan and in Switzerland. So I felt ripped <laughs> off. And, and, and today, just in a short few months, that watch is like selling for double retail. And again, I didn't buy it on the intention that it's ever going to go up in value. I mean... You know, Zenith makes quite a few limited editions, nothing special there, but somehow this one seems to have resonated with people. And it ended up being a good purchase if you think in a, you know, more in an investment kind of term. But again, the intention wasn't there, but somehow it ended up that way. So you might be positively surprised. I mean, there, there, there's a couple of things like that now and then where it's not just Rolex and Patek and AP that are, you know, commanding premiums. Um, and again, if you go with your gut, you might be surprised. You might you you might make a few lucky uh, purchases like that. But even if you don't, you'll have fun. Even if they're not uh, awesome investments, you still enjoy wearing them. That's the main thing, really. But that's the point. I mean, that, that 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 that's the first objective or priority with any purchase. And then if it does go up in value, then that's like the cherry on the on the cake, you know. And uh, has there ever been a brand that you've wanted them to do a, a purple watch for you, but they haven't done it yet? Um. <laughs> well. <laughs> There's probably a few. Like, okay, with Moser, it took quite a bit of begging to get it done. Not so much about the purple, because, I mean, I, I was willing to take full responsibility to make 10 pieces, pay for them, and then sell them. So the, the risk was more on my end, but for them, it was more, you know, along the lines of, okay, we've never done anything with a blogger or Instagram, or how is it going to look for a brand? So that's usually the first thing. 
lately it's become more common, I'd say, that brands, I guess, you know, especially the bigger brands, they're willing to sell any way possible. So even if, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I bring them a dancing, juggling chimp tomorrow and say he's got a million followers and he can sell 20 watches, they'll probably make that dancing chimp edition. So, uh, <laughs> so th- there's really no, like, yeah, it's, it's you know, it, it's a very short-term uh, kind of mindset right now, but the watch industry has always been like that. But there, there have been a few, like, like with Zenith, for example, I really wanted to do that Defy 21 Purple that they did come out with in the end as their own edition. But it was something I had pitched to them about two years ago as a, as a concept. But, I mean, I think they had a minimum volume required to do it, and I didn't know that many people who would be willing to buy a purple Zenith. So we didn't do it. I'm happy they still did it in the end on their, on their own. I'm kind of happy to see that more brands are doing purple. Another <laughs> one that I've been nagging for years is Max, uh, Max Booser from, from MBNF. Yeah. I've been begging him to do an LM101 in purple because he's, he's on the other legacy machines in purple, but they're, I mean, even an LM101 is out of my budget, but I'm sure if the day comes, I'd, I'd, I'd sacrifice a few to make it happen. <laughs> but yeah, that's been a few years, uh, a few years in the begging, I'd say. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've tried once in a while, like if I see a while, I think I've tried with Ressence, for example, because uh, I love what those guys are doing. That could be cool, but again, like they, they didn't want to do a unique piece, and I don't want to take the risk of doing ten or twenty pieces. And yeah, that's, <laughs> that's quite a piece. bit of a yeah, not an easy piece. And I, I I did it once with Moser. I don't think I'd do it again, which is <laughs> I, which is why like with the Sartre Diar, I said okay, I don't want anything out of this. I mean, and I bought my watch like everybody else for the same price as everybody else. But at least I got to put my little rabbit stamp on it, and that's that's enough for my ego. Uh, <laughs> That, that, that's all I need, really. Where did the um, rabbit come from? Actually, it was my wife's idea. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Because, listen, I, I mean, I, I try to be as punctual as I can in life. Sometimes too punctual, actually, where I'd rather be like an hour early for a meeting than five minutes late. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> and you know how it is, Rob. I mean, I still don't drive in Switzerland, so I, I still rely heavily on uh, public transport. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you if you have a meeting up in the Sentier, you don't have a lot of choice for trains. There's probably like <laughs> one an hour. And let's say you have like, I don't know, a, a 2.30 meeting and you know that if you take the, the, the train that arrives at 2.35, you're going to be late. So I'd rather arrive an hour early, just sit at the train station, wait, and be there on time. <laughs> My wife, however, is not the same at all. So, you know, her, her, her watches are never even set on time. I mean, I've never gotten her quartz watch on the automatics, but she rarely wears them. And when she does, she doesn't even bother to set the time. And she is always freaking late for whatever it is, you know, whether it's dinner out or a doctor's appointment or anything, she's always late. And I'm always behind her, like nagging her. And I've always got like my finger, like tapping on the watch, like, you know, come on, you know, running out of time. So one day, like she, she, she was a bit pissed off. She's like, you know, what? you remind me of, you know, the, the white rabbit from Alice in Wonderland with your watch all the time. So that's kind of how it, uh, that's how, yeah. And my mom calls me rabbit because in Arabic, like when you call someone a ra- rabbit, it's someone who's kind of shy and timid. But uh, yeah, <laughs> so put, put the two together, and uh, yeah, you get uh, you get the white rabbit. And yeah, so I actually took the original design from from the Alice in Wonderland uh, illustrated book from way back when, and changed it up a bit, put on a purple jacket on him, and yeah, that's uh, that's it. But it's funny because people people don't, never remember the name; they always remember the rabbit. So when you tell them the horrifile, the horrifile, what? Who? Oh, le lapin, the rabbit. Oh, the yeah, the rabbit. rabbit. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I've got I've got a, a bone to pick with you, actually. In um, in November two thousand and thirteen, 
you were in the, in the boutique when I was running the Richard Mill boutique in Geneva. Yeah. Uh, you took some, we took some photos. You were in this often, you know, we, we, we hung out and stuff it was cool. But um, there's a photo you posted on, uh, on your Instagram of a, of a gray Bubba Watson. Um, yep. And that was a one-off for a customer. And I got, I got in so much crap over that. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I could tell you that seven years later, I could say, "Oh, my the big, the big boss of our, um, Richard Mill Europe, he was not happy." I don't know who, I don't know who, I forget who the who the watch was for, but oh, you should have told me. No, no, that didn't matter. No, 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 actually, it wasn't. The that damage was done. I was actually there for a couple of more years, so it wasn't like I was I was sacked on the spot, but it was kind of funny. I just I just remember it, and, and then when I was flicking back through, just the other day, I thought that that freaking watch that got me in the hot water when I when I, when I went. Yeah. Anyway. That was um, one of those things, but uh, what do you think about the the, the fares um, stopping, chopping, changing? Uh, obviously, this year is a bit of a write-off anyway, but a um, bit, 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 bit of a bit of a major upheaval in the fair world. The watch shows. Well, I mean, listen. On, on one side, I'm kind. Of, on one side, I'm kind of disheartened you were sick of it. because. <laughs> I mean, I was, but at the same time, like, especially Basel World, more so than SIHH, but Basel World was really that place where once a year, you know, we all get together and exactly. we have people from, you know, that we only get to see once a year. And it's kind of fun. I mean, what happens outside of the actual booths, you know, the the, the, the drinks and the dinners <laughs> and all that, 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 that was really where I think the heart and soul of the watch industry is. But I'm not going to lie that through the years, as just a visitor, you feel like you don't really have much to do there. I mean, if, if I was, let's say if I was a watch collector and I didn't necessarily know people at Swiss HQ who could, you know, give me a tour. If, if, I, if I were to go to Basel or SIH, then all I'd be doing is looking at display cases. And often those display cases didn't even have the new stuff because they'd only have one or two prototypes to show to the sales and like uh, press presentations. Um, so it was those shows aren't really catered towards the uh the end consumer and i think again i mean it's not that every watch collector is going to take a flight to geneva and stay in an overpriced hotel or even worse in basel uh <laughs> where you end up paying like you know five star rates for a pretty crappy airbnb um but, but, but the problem is i think you know the world has changed i mean let's be honest um we've seen during covid19 i mean brands are able to launch things online uh still manage to sell online I'm not going to say it's going to replace traditional, you know, press and distribution, but I think we've done an okay job of getting by with, uh, with you know, limited capabilities, I'd say. But uh, what scares me now is that it's all happening under one roof, so to speak. So, you know, Basel World, we don't really know what's happening. I mean, for the last two years, you know, every week you get like a super optimistic email from them, you know, new concept, new structure. And when you get to the show, it's actually the same thing. They've just put, for some reason, a catwalk in the middle where Swatch Group used to be. You know, and it just like, <sighs> too little, too late and in the wrong direction at the same time. Um, but what scares me now is that it's all in Geneva. Um, so Back to where it used to be. Got, yeah, but they've kind of gotten a monopoly over it now. And, you know, the FHH, FHH is kind mm. of a Richemont thing. So, yeah. yeah, and I'm not the biggest Richemont fan. So. <laughs> I mean, no offense to them, but like, yeah, I just don't like their way of doing things. And yeah, so at least it's in Geneva. For so for me, it's easy. It's a train ride away. Um, and at least even for visitors coming from abroad, I think it's 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 a lot more convenient and comfortable to stay in Geneva than in Basel, to be honest. Where I think, Absolutely, uh, yes. Basel's not the most charming city in Switzerland, I have to say. Uh, and I think after 10 years going there, we've seen pretty much all there is to see in Basel. It's not like I it's... I haven't um... been yet though, Rob. Well, that's, Rob uh, that, this is exactly why. Me. I bring this up every podcast just to hassle alex because i know we'll never get there <laughs> no <Nah. laughs> it's heartbreaking yeah. I know. it's a bit, bit mean isn't it 
I would see all the guys at work go, and they'd go, oh, i got to go to Basel. Oh, God, I hate going there. Uh, it's shit. I hate watches. And I'm like, oh, God, I want to go to Basel. I want to go to Basel. And then I can <laughs> never go. There. It's just spoiled, spoiled forever. Well, next, no, you might. Eh? It might come back. Or you'll be yeah, a Geneva or a diff, something different. There's different. There's always little shows all over the place anyway. Little, I know, little... but it would be the same thing. Even if I go to Geneva or something, you guys will all be there and you'll be like, oh, remember Basel? That was a great year. <laughs> remember, that? remember that year we all got together? And uh, Alex, you probably won't want to listen to this conversation. Like, you weren't there. And uh, it was the best year ever. This year's shit. That's, <laughs> that's all that will happen. Even if it's not, we'll say it is. Well, don't feel too bad, Alex. I mean, honestly, for the last like maybe two, three years of Basel, I haven't even been staying there. I mean, last year I think I went just for one day because it, even Basel, it, it kind of lost a bit of its touch over the years. I'd say like I don't a know. bit, it, yeah, quite a bit. It's odd. And at the same time, I mean, you have all these shows popping up all over the place now. You know, you have Dubai Watch Week, the LVMH Dubai Watch Week, which has nothing to do with the regular Dubai Watch Week. You have, I think they're still doing Watches and Wonders Shanghai, if I'm not mistaken, uh, after summer. Robfest. Yeah, Robfest. Rob yeah. <laughs> yeah. And no, but I mean, like, listen, the world's changing. And I think also what's good is like, it was a big mistake in any case. I mean, to have this model where you launch basically, let's say, 80 or 90% of all your new releases for the year in a one week period, every brand's doing the same thing. And the products are only deliverable six to nine months later, and in many cases, even much longer than that. So it's this unnecessary pressure that brands have had to live with where, you know, okay, we know there's our show in March or April. We have to prepare something. Oh, but the prototype's not ready. Who cares? Let's present it as it is. And and at the same time, <laughs> you're presenting something that you're not even ready to produce or, or sell. So like, and, and, and especially for the smaller guys, I mean, there's no way of getting your voice out there if you know you're trying to release stuff at the same time as Rolex, Patek, and all the other big boys. So at least now, I think it kind of levels the playing field a little bit. I mean, and I'm sure by next year, if you know SIH or Watches and Wonders or whatever the hell it's called now uh, goes on, and if the world somehow gets back to more or less normal, because I don't think we'll ever go back to how things nope. were, but nope. but a, a, a semblance of it, anyways. I think uh, we're unfortunately probably going to do the same mistake where everybody's going to be releasing uh, everything in a period of one week and then you have a couple of months of calm and then it's, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an industry that learns the hard way, sadly. And uh, once there's the slightest sign of improvement, it's back to our old bad habits. <laughs> That's kind of how watchmaking works, though. That's what I was going to say. I was like, do you not think that maybe COVID and the cancellation of Basel is going to force the industry to catch up with all the other industries who are at the correct level in terms of e-commerce and all these kind of things but do you honestly think that they could revert back because i know they're, they're they're being kind of forced into taking extreme measures and doing things differently but do you think if everything went back to the back to the way it was before do you think they would just revert back to the same old old-fashioned ways well, you know, I mean, old habits die hard. And, uh, <laughs> and and another thing, I mean, keep in mind that, like, in terms of managerial positions in the watch industry, like, most of the people who hold the top jobs have been in the industry, like, their whole lives, more or less. And, and I mean, not to be an asshole about it, but there are no spring chickens, a lot of them. Um, so, of course, I mean, their job would be much easier just doing things the way they've always been done. And, and that's the funny thing. I mean, even in my job, like, a lot of the even the bigger brands that, you know, pre-COVID, I mean, we're talking even like February, 
they still refuse to display prices on their website. And now uh, four months later, five months later, they all have e-commerce sites. You kind of get to see where, unfortunately, it's an industry that's, uh, you know, based a lot more on, on reaction than trying to be like proactive and, you know, think ahead. It's, 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 it's always, unfortunately, very short term. But I think some, some changes will be lasting. I mean, what's, what's positive for me is that finally, even though brands have been active on, you know, platforms like Instagram for a few years now, it's always been a bit like, okay, we do it because somebody told us we have to. Whereas now, I think they're, they're finally saying like, okay, like this actually does translate to sales. Like, so let's do more there. But again, it's, it's, it's always, unfortunately, very short term uh, in their approach. I mean, you know, it's, it's it, you know, I think since, you know, the 08, 09 crisis, I don't think it's fully, fully recovered. Um, and we've been skating on thin ice for a while. I mean, yeah. Quarter after quarter, we've seen, you know, exports from Switzerland go up. Um, and now it's kind of all come crashing down quite suddenly. But I think, I mean, we have to keep in mind, I think for me, honestly, like it's just been a lot of overcapacity in a lot of brands and a lot of the groups, especially. I think the kind of volumes that a lot of brands were hoping for are just not realistic. They weren't realistic back then and they're not going to be realistic going on forward. And I think that's the real problem is that every brand wants to be the next big brand Every big brand wants to play in all segments. So you have high-end brands that are trying to, you know, come up with entry-level products and you have more entry-level brands that are trying to go up market. And it's kind of funny, especially on a group level, because you then ask yourself, what's the point of having a group? I mean, if we're all sort of cannibalizing each other and trying to be in the same segments, why are we even doing this? And especially when the products start to look more and more alike, then you know you have a problem. Um, so I think those are the kind of more... I'd say more important lessons that I don't think we're, we're, we're really ready for in, in, in the watch industry. But, you know, who knows? I mean, at the same time, there are some of the smaller brands that are making a big impact. And I think the bigger brands are looking at them and trying to figure out what it is that they're doing right. But yeah, like, I think in terms of marketing, in terms of, you know, these, these fairs and stuff, they'll definitely go on to an extent. And I think, yeah, as we said, the bad habits will be around for a while longer. But I hope at least out of all of this, I mean, I, I hope they've, they've learned a couple of things. And, and, and beyond just selling, I mean, I think what brands are starting to figure out now is that, like, the younger buyers today, they're not just interested in the product and the hype. Like, your brand actually has to have, like, decent human freaking values. Otherwise, like, you know, the, the, the traditional sense of luxury and all that, I think it's kind of dying out, to be honest, um, yeah. in a lot of the developed markets. And that's what scares me the most is just uh, trying to stay relevant for the next generation of potential watch buyers. And I think that's where we're really losing out is coming with messages and coming with products and coming with things that actually make sense that actually have some sort of value to them and otherwise the problem is when you don't have that then anyone who does want to buy a luxury watch will buy one of the you know four big brands and that's it i think they're definitely going to need to to reframe luxury for the, the modern wristwatch buyer or the people that they're they're trying to get to buy wristwatches who aren't into them just now I think they're going to have to totally think about it in, in a different way. But I think maybe the thing that when we're talking about them learning something from this experience, it might be that they had they only learned through pain. So through actually having their um, income reduced, that they're thinking, shit, oh, God, we better actually do something here. Let's try those things that everyone has been telling us to do for the last 20 years or the last 10 years. So maybe yeah. that's a way that they're going to, yeah, maybe this is the thing that's going to give them the jolt, the jolt that they need. And, and then once they do try something new, 
I don't know, it's maybe wishful thinking, but I, I do kind of hope maybe that they'll start to think, oh, maybe if one person suggested this and now we're forced to do it and it worked, let's try some other stuff. I guess only time, time will tell. Yeah, for sure. And you know what, I think it's also a generational thing, not so much just in terms of the actual end consumer and buyers, but also in terms of the actual manpower within the watch industry, where I think slowly, slowly we are seeing like younger, um, yeah, I guess managers that might not necessarily even come up from a watch industry upbringing. And I think that's probably what we need the most today is just, honestly, for me, it's just a question of like fresh blood and new talent and people that have an experience that is outside of this little bubble we live in called Swiss watchmaking. But you have to have a passion though, right? You have to have a passion for watches. Glad you said that, Rob. I was about to say that. Yeah, because you can't just get any but willy-nilly to come in and manage it if they don't care about watches. Oh, definitely. But I mean, like, I'll give you an example. Like, there's this, there's this clothing brand that I, I kind of like because I think their approach is pretty slick. It's very, like, technical uh, garments, you know, pushing ahead materials and all that. It's called Volleback. Yeah, they, they did some crazy stuff. Like, they, they made a jacket out of, like, a graphene coating, which is, like, the, you know, like, it's in terms of insulation. Anyways, they, they play a lot with materials, but they, they, they made like, in collaboration with, I don't know which company, not a watch brand, but they made the first watch made entirely out of garbage. Literally garbage. Like, it's so cool looking. It's so cool. Yeah, you've seen that, right? Ah, yeah. I mean, uh, like, yes, that one. But that's what and I mean. It's like, it's a quartz. It's a quartz. It's a quartz. For the wires and stuff, yeah. Yep. I mean, listen, it's, it's obviously just a talking piece or a concept piece. I don't know how the end product will look when it's commercialized. But again, these are people who have no experience in the watch industry. And yet they made something that, okay, it's not maybe for the watch geek or collector. But they made something that I think w that resonates with what people are looking for today in terms of, you know, like uh, actual values in terms of uh, what kind of company are you, you know, beyond just your products and your sales and the marketing, like what do you stand for? And I think that's something that the watch industry just doesn't stand for much really for a lot of brands i mean it's uh you know we're looking for you know people with too much money and yeah yeah exactly i mean some do most don't but like, <laughs> but that, that's the sad thing i mean like and, and at the end of the day like a lot of it is like very trend driven you know so now we talk about you know like okay black lives matters which you know that's it's sad that it always takes some kind of calamity for everybody to get on board, you know, same thing with like, you know, LGBTQ rights and all these topics, which are, are very relevant today, but for a, the longest time has been taboo in, in, in just luxury products in general. And, and you see, like, even within the groups like LVMH, like Richemont, where the fashion brands are kind of taking the lead in that aspect, even though a lot of it is very opportunistic and, you know, yeah. a, a bit too perfect timing, if you ask me, but like... But whereas the watch industry is like, no, no, we can't talk about that. You know, let's just not talk about it at all. You know, like, let's just keep our heads in the sand and uh, business as usual. And and that's the, the kind of point I'm trying to make where it's this business as usual mentality. And where, you know, even now during COVID is like, oh, but when things get back to how they were, well, they're not going to get back to how they were. So you better start thinking ahead, like, and start doing things differently. And, and this is where I appreciate a brand like, uh, you know, like H. Moser and Company. Um, who've been pretty vocal a lot about a lot of things um, for the past few years, you know, like about what it means to be Swiss made, about, you know, all these topics where I think a lot of other brands are just, you know, maybe internally they communicate about it, but externally uh, you don't see anything. And then you have this, you know, small, almost thuggish brand that's come and kind of trying to shake things up. And they obviously don't have, you know, the the manpower or the size or the financial capabilities to go big in the same way that a you know group luxury brand could go but you know they, they've managed to i think carve a niche just by having the right values 
that resonates with a lot of the watch buyers. And I think going forward, probably go for topics that, you know, touch people beyond just uh, us watch geeks. And I think that's really important. Just going forward, I think, like, and, and we see this in every sector, really. It's not just about luxury. It's not about jewelry and watches. It's really like, you know, y- your brand is just as much about the, its values than it is about the products. So it'll be interesting to see how, you know, watch brands do this. And I mean, some have, I think, been more active than others. Like, I like what Oris does with a lot of the, you know, ocean con- conservation projects and that kind of thing. And they've been doing it for quite a few years now. And yeah, you could say some of it is just PR fluff, but I think you, you just feel like there is some good intention behind it and it's not just for the marketing. If you could do a bit of both, I don't see the harm in it, honestly. What about moving outside of Switzerland? We've been banging on here for a while about Swiss watches, which is fine, but I mean, is, is there a little, what's caught your eye outside of Switzerland? Uh, or is there, is there much out there? Well, of course there is, and I think there, there's more and more. Um, and I think even for me, I think just living in Switzerland so long, I mean, there, there was a year where, where I was only buying non-Swiss watches because I'd had enough <laughs> of like, even though a lot of them will end up using Swiss movements or components or suppliers or whatever, like, you know, Sarpaneva. Um, yeah, of course, it was actually yeah. pretty cool because I, I, I got to fly up to Helsinki to pick up the watch. And it was such I a saw thrill. a picture of you up there. Yeah. yeah. With, <laughs> With James uh, Black Badger. Yeah, yeah, it was good times. I mean, I'm really into like the Japanese scene as well. I mean, I, I love what Hajime Asaoka has been doing for a few years now. Mm-hmm. But he's not the only one on the scene now. You know, there, there are a couple of cats up and coming. And he, even on Instagram, I mean, in the last two months alone, I've probably discovered a few up and coming watchmakers, like from all over the place, you know, from Eastern Europe, from... Uh, Eastern Europe, there's some cool ones. Yeah. Yeah. Russia. And I think, but again, like, I think, again, like, thanks to this platform, like, I think these guys have a way of getting discovered and, you know, it, it suffices for one or two collectors to kind of go for one of their watches that it kind of picks up. And I think, I, I, I think this, 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 this border of, you know, like, uh, you know, anything other than Swiss made is, is bad. It doesn't exist anymore. It's, it, it, this, this mindset, I think, has changed a lot. I mean, I think maybe 10, 15 years ago, probably a brand like Elang and Zernig, when to prove, you know, that, okay, like, we're not Swiss and we're probably doing it better than all the Swiss brands, you know, and I think that kind of shook things up a bit. And then you have, like, the Gronfeld brothers in uh, in Holland who have been doing, you know, pretty solid work. Awesome and, stuff, you know, yep. They all had work experience here in Switzerland before going back home, just as Sarpaneva did. I love Habring. Everyone loves Honestly, Habring. Like, <laughs> I love Habring. I mean, I, I have one that I love, and it's kind of a sentimental piece because it was the Time Zone uh, 21st anniversary one. Um, oh, yeah. that the one that's the same got? one Anthony's got. Yeah. yeah, one of our colleagues. Yes, here on the with the, on, the dead on the show. seconds and the sector dial. It's it's it's, it's a sick watch, and I mean, like, I, and I love their approach because even their dials are made in Austria by a company that does not make dials. I mean, how awesome yeah. is that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so again, like, what I love is that like all these non-Swiss watchmakers, especially the ones who want to do as much as they can locally, they kind of have to get creative and start looking at solutions. And uh, yeah, it's uh, and honestly for me, like again, I'm I'm not Swiss, but I live here, so I'm kind of an outsider looking in kind of thing, and I don't think that'll ever change. So. I just kind of resonate with those non-Swiss watchmakers as well somehow. Because like, it, it is almost, I'd say, a courageous thing nowadays. Like, you know, if you're, if you're in a country that has zero access to, to watchmaking and you decide to create your own watches from scratch, and it takes, uh, it takes a lot of balls. Like, so That'll be us, Alex. That'll be us when we do our brand. But there are Australian brands, I know, right? I mean, there's, I don't know how, how to pronounce it, but I've seen, I think it's Boso. Boso, yeah, like he's a French guy. Boso, yeah. French guy. He's in yeah. Australia. Yeah, he's in Australia. French, yeah. French people coming over here, stealing our watchmaking <laughs> jobs. Jesus. Um, yeah, Christoph. Nick Hacko. Yeah, Nick Hacko. He's doing, he's probably the closest we've got to a, a, a real 
real uh, Aussie proper watchmaker. I mean, watchmaker as in he makes everything more and more here. I mean, yeah, there's a few guys have tried it with varying degrees of success, and there's some little sort of micro brand type stuff, you know, Kickstarter type type level stuff, but um, nothing really, uh, really kicking out of the park yet, apart from Nick Hacko in, in Sydney, which is uh, it's quite small still. But yeah, you know, we have a go. Oh yeah, and 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 Dan Spitz from the US. I mean, that's probably like the coolest up and coming indie watchmaker, but just because he has such an atypical like you know. Well, you would appreciate his background, yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. No, but I mean, I really appreciate what he's trying to do in terms of, um, you know, trying to put American watchmaking back on the map. He's not the only one. I mean, I love what Shap- yeah. Shapiro's doing amazing work as well. There's like two or three other guys, but I'm really bad with names. I mean, uh, so don't don't quote me on it. But like, what about the, but the RGM guy's been going for a long time. Yeah, RGM was probably like the first and only one for a while, like. I think he was the only American watchmaker actually making his own watches, like back on our time zone days, Rob, remember? Like, yeah, and yeah, I think yeah, he was like exactly. A forum sponsor and that kind of thing. And he's still going strong. I mean, even like guys in the Middle East now are catching up, you know, to, uh, catching on to his work. Yeah, okay. um, But there are other guys, you know, there's some dudes who are like carrying on, you know, Derek Pratt's work and that kind of thing. So like, it's, it's good to see like this revival of, you know, watchmaking on a global level. Like it's it's quite encouraging. And again, like, if if independent watchmaking wasn't like picking up and wasn't getting yeah i guess more and more in demand by some and you don't need a lot of people to get into it to keep it going you know that's the great thing for me that that's again a confirmation that uh you know indies are the way to go <laughs> like exactly yeah i think it is encouraging encouraging for anybody who listens to i mean i guess the guys that we've had on the podcast before and they talk about how they got into and and doing their own thing and I think, yeah, I think it'd be encouraging for anyone to listen to that who wanted to make anything at all. Because if you can make a, if you can make a watch and, and have very little access to, to the machinery and parts and all these kind of things, then you can basically do anything if you can do that. That's so true. I always find it really motivational when I'm, when I hear these guys or we have guests on the podcast, even though most of the time they're a lot more competent at, at me at, at watchmaking or not most of the time every time they're more competent watchmakers than i am but um yeah it's so <laughs> motivational to hear how they've started off with this passion the passion's been passion combined with hard work has been enough to kind of carry them through to an end product that people get really excited about yeah for sure i mean let's let's not forget i mean watchmaking has remained relatively the same for the last 300 years or so so it's not rocket science i mean this has been done you know in in the days when we didn't have synthetic oils and yet to use animal fat for lube and stuff like so like i mean you can teach yourself how to be a watchmaker and and that's a beautiful thing of someone like hajime asaoka for example who really is a self-taught watchmaker did not go to school didn't have anyone to train him and yet somehow today produces some of the most beautiful watches out there like so yeah i think if you put your mind to it i mean the resources are there you know there, there's this thing called the internet as well it's it's pretty good uh you can find a lot of resources and again like this is where i, I still have like even though i'm not very active on the forums anymore well at all but i think you know websites like timezone.com are still a great resource to to, to learn to discover and they even had like you know i remember back in the day and you know early mid 2000s you know online watchmaking courses um so yeah, i think where there's a will there's a way if you're willing to you know put in the blood sweat and tears Absolutely. why not 
Did you did you manage to did you manage to score or had you met, uh, the green one? I got the green. Well, the funny thing is when when he came out with this, uh, what is it, uh, Bunkyo? To- I don't know what it's called, Corona Tokyo, Bunkyo Tokyo, because the yeah, watch yeah. has like a few names on it. He also has the same watches that he only sells in Japan called Corona Tokyo. So who the hell knows? But like, <laughs> well, when, when I when I pre-ordered the first one that he did, I think last summer, if I'm not mistaken, so the yeah. gray dial. Um, nobody really wanted them. I mean, they were available online for like a month or two on pre-order. It was 50 pieces each. I went for the gray one because I thought it was the most Hajime-looking color. Yes. I got it a few months later, loved it. Then he came out with this anniversary one, which, uh, yeah, the launch didn't go as planned where, you know, to, to make a long story short, there was supposed to be a system where if you add it to your cart, uh, it reserves it for like 10 minutes. Until yeah, everyone was, we had a bunch of guys who were trying to, yeah. So I got a bit mad and, you know, posted a nasty comment. Oh, you were on one of the ones that got mad. You were one of those people. I was. Oh, you were one of those. <laughs> we're always no, like, slacking off the You took minutes, it personally. <laughs> Of course I did. I mean, like, no, but like, if you promise something, and I swear, I, I had tried to complete the checkout within a minute, like, of, of the thing going online, and it was already sold out. So, like, if you're going to tell me it's saved in your cart for 10 minutes, then obviously you didn't keep your word. And that's all I said. Like, you didn't keep your word. And then, you know, like, in typical Japanese fashion, you know, a very apologetic, very, like... You bring great shame on your family. You should have said yeah, exactly. that. Exactly. You know, that in measure. <laughs> but then I think, listen, they, they were caught in a tough spot. I mean, I've, I've heard both sides of the of the argument i mean some people seeing it as something very opportunistic and you know maybe they did it on purpose you know instead of selling 50 they ended up selling 300 of them but i think they did the right thing to try and please everybody but it wasn't maybe the most organized way of doing it where i think they could have sent mm. another email rather than just an instagram post it's going to be back in an hour i still managed to secure one i think it's I saw a cool your post one. actually yeah, on that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but see, but, but, but see, like, I, I, I'm quick to like judge when they make a mistake, but once they rectify it, I was quick to, you know. Like... Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's the thing. I mean, I, I don't really show favoritism, even to an indie. I mean, if you, if you, if you, do, if you do something wrong, and I take it personally, and I take everything personally. So. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. That's a great quality because I'm exactly like that as well. Like, I'm always saying people are dead to me. Like, just the slightest. <laughs> wrong wrongdoing that's it they're dead to me from now on they're, they're yeah, gone. I'm, I'm willing to be a forgiving person but i mean you've got to it, it, it kind of has to work both ways right otherwise so i think i just like that that the japanese game back the japanese how they how they do things and how correct they are and how 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 everything's just got to be just just so you know and they're so demanding and um and i'm sure i mean I, some of the watches i've seen of his at, at basel or some guys had i really liked them and i was gonna i went to try and get this one but when it failed the first time i didn't bother trying again uh, maybe i should have but anyway it was probably like 3 a.m your time or something like well so, it was you know. it was pretty late yeah but um no it's it's pretty impressive but i like just look at it again it's another little brand it's outside of switzerland it's uh the guys doing yeah self-taught and and there's guys that other guys who have done that as well that have you know taught themselves some pretty good stuff i just i i get this totally off off, off topic again I don't, I don't i think the word or the term master watchmaker is overused but it doesn't even mean anything does it It doesn't like, mean anything and that but that's what someone was calling dan spitz which i didn't agree with i mean yeah sure sure the guy might be a, a good a good watchmaker and a self-taught whatever or, or but he's not a master watchmaker i mean he's not old enough for a start <laughs> you've got to be a certain age this is my problem I I, I I don't know yeah i mean people like philip dufour and old guys and old guys i used to work with at ap and there's some master watchmakers out there but i think that the term master and even nick Kako actually bandies it about a bit, which I think is a bit over the top. Master watchmaking? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Can I be, am I a master technician? Well, it's just a, a marketing term. Like, 
You can be a master of whatever you want. There's a guy at work who calls himself a master watchmaker, who I, my friend Marcus, who I love dearly. And as soon as he said it once, he regrets it every single day now. Like if he <laughs> asked me, Alex, have you seen, we need some more tape? I'm like, surely a master watchmaker would know where the sticky tape is, Marcus. So he doesn't, after that, he's, he doesn't ever call himself he's taken it off his cv you just need to you just need to beat it out of them that's it yeah true true yeah okay okay no more questions for 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 amir before we start wrapping up slowly gently uh... i want him so when i was i know that you already told the story (laughs) on the um on the swiss watch king one but the story i really really loved was the date just story where a date just was found kind of lying around I don't know if it's lying around, but it was found in your your family home. Can you tell us that? Because I just I just I want I to hear it again, one. even though I listened to it at lunchtime today. It's such <laughs> a great story. Yeah, no, this, you know, it, it, it's a funny thing because like my my family has like a I wouldn't say a hidden history with watchmaking, but like there's a lot of things I wish I had known 10, 15 years ago. Like for example, <laughs> when I started working at Hublot. I had no idea that my aunt at one point in the 80s was their official retailer in my in my city in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> she was also the official retailer for Gerald Genta, like when it was still owned by Gerald Genta, like little things like that. And I had no idea. And again, like all these like, you know, like little uh, Rolexes with like the national emblems and that kind of thing. Those are the kind of things that have only been picking up in the last like five, six years, to be honest. They, they, they used to be the kind of thing where, you know, a lot of like diplomats, dignitaries, or, you know, like even just foreign businessmen would receive as gifts, you know, because it's part of the culture back home, you know, gift giving and slavishing and spoiling your your, your guests. <laughs> so a lot of these Rolexes were made, yeah, they're, they're made as gifts you're supposed to give out. But, you know, in those days, people would get the watch, they'd go to the official Rolex dealer uh, and have the dial swapped out for a regular one. So if you had a date just, you'd, you know. Then, like, my, my grandfather used to be, uh, rest in peace, used to be the um, uh, director of Saudi Airlines back, like, he took it from, like, a local small airline to, at that point in history, was, like, the preeminent international airline for the region. Like, oh, wow. Nowadays, yeah, nobody cares about Saudi Airlines. You have Emirates and, you know, all those. But back then, like, Emirates would come to my grandfather for, like, you know, advice and consulting and how to build an airline and airports and all that. But anyways, so it was really during the heyday of aviation when it was actually, like, profitable for the state because our airline's, like, state-owned. So anyways, like I started hunting down a couple of Rolexes that were, you know, commissioned by either Saudi Airlines or the Saudi Ministry of Defense, which somehow uh, overlooked Saudi Airlines. Don't ask me why. Um, and anyways, I, I came home once with one of the ones I bought. It was like a, it was a Rolex uh, Oyster date. So it wasn't even an automatic. It was a manual winding 34 millimeter little thing. And it had the Saudi Airlines logo on it. And I was all happy. I showed my grandma, oh, look what I just bought, like from... From a dealer in London, she's like, "Oh, you should have told me." She goes up to her safe, <laughs> like she has a little safe in her bedroom where she keeps, you know, her watches and jewelry. And she pulls out this like box, which was literally like untouched, still with the stickers, still everything. Opens it up, and there's this like date just never <laughs> worn, still had every sticker on it. She's like, "Yeah, we had like a hundred of those back in the day. We gave them uh, all away. We might have a couple at home somewhere, but uh, here's one. Uh, if you, if I was gonna wear it to travel next month, but if you want it, it's yours. Okay." I'm not gonna say no. So yeah, it's it's been here. I've never worn it. I'm gonna try to keep it as new old stock as possible. But it's just uh, yeah, it's like a little piece of uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess family history and national history and yeah. It should encourage everyone to speak to their grandparents. Yeah, exactly. Well, got- <laughs> well, 
Uh, my, my grandma had a thing for like for yeah some watches i mean typically like you know feminine watches like a couple of cartiers and piaget's that you wouldn't be caught dead wearing nowadays but like you know back in the 80s was all the hype uh, but uh yeah it's uh it, it was a lucky find i mean I, i'm happy i got my hands on it before any of my brothers or cousins did, so. <laughs> yeah, you got it in court. that's great and they're all cut I, I, yeah actually some of them were upset after like you know how come he gets it how come we don't you know like <laughs> well at the same time you know what i've been the official like watch caretaker of the family for years so even when my grandfather was alive i'd be the one who'd take his watches back to switzerland have them service bring them back you know and so i think i think i've earned it you know let's say it that way after she brought out that though were you did you say like wait a minute what, what else have you got in there what else let's <laughs> let's have a deeper look inside that safe of yours what else yeah have but you got exactly I mean, the, the kind of things that we tend to like look for and value today for them in their time was like meh you know like so she had like i think she had received like some i think she has one or two i think one is a van cleef and one is a vacheron with the omani uh hanjar engraved mm-hmm. on the back because again, those are like gifts to dignitaries and diplomats and stuff. So like the kind of thing where for us back in the day it was like super kitschy, wouldn't be caught dead wearing, and now they're like kind of sought after. So like I'm sure there's a couple of things we might discover someday, but I just hope I'm the one who discovers them and not. Any because you have a few, <laughs> you have a few um, other vintage watches too, don't you? You're, you're a bit into vintage as well. Is that Fuchsia? Just have that Fuchsia G- GMT. Yeah, I rarely wear it to be honest. Like I, Can I, buy I had a bad experience. No, <laughs> uh, you can, but you won't like the price. But yeah. <laughs> No, but I mean, I'm keeping it. It's 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 one of those things where honestly, like I I annoyed uh, some dealers for months and months to find a very specific example. Davidoff. Like I wanted it to be a matte dial, but I wanted the Fushi. I wanted it to be original to the watch, so it had to be like a Mark One or what they call a Mark One Point Five dial. Um, I wanted it to be unpolished, not so easy. Um, so yeah, like after a couple of months, they found one, and I thought it was a lot of money four years ago, and boy was I wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but honestly, I, I rarely wear it because I did have an incident with this. Well, again, with with, with one of those Saudi dial, this manual winding, uh, the perpetual. No, sorry, the Oyster date. Yeah, the, the, the thirty-four millimeter one. So when it was actually my grandfather's like funeral and burial a few years ago in Saudi Arabia, I decided well to do him honor. I'll wear the watch that you know like was made during his time at the airlines, whatever. And I was all happy wearing it. I, I, I you know, I, I went to, uh, we, we buried him in Mecca. So in Mecca, like, you know, you're supposed to pray and, you know, do your uh, ritual cleansing and all that. Mm. So, you know, I, I just like literally just rinsed my hands and arms and did the whole thing. And I'm sitting there and my brother's looking at me and he's like, you know, like sort of signaling with his eyes at my watch. And I'm looking at him grinning like, yeah, I know, it's cool. And he's like, no, no, like, look at it. And I look at it and there's like, you know, precipitation under the crystal. <laughs> You know, and like, I, I, I get home and you can literally just like, like remove the case back with just your fingernail and like, oh God. So after that, I'm like, okay, you know, like I can appreciate vintage and I love vintage, but it's not something you'd want to wear very often. I mean, unless you have it checked and have the gaskets replaced every now and then. But even then, like, you know, after 60 years or so regular wear and tear, it's not going to perform <laughs> in the same way. But I, I still buy a couple of vintage pieces. I mean, the, the Fuchsia is probably the most uh, sought after one I have. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. Then, I, then I have about like three of those Saudi dial, uh, two date justs, one oyster date. I also bought like two years ago a, again, don't quote me on the pronunciation, but I bought one of the Dirty Dozen watches. Mm. Um, so it was the Sima, which yeah. was the largest of the Dirty Dozen. And I liked it. I think honestly for having... 
a World War II relic used by the good guys. Um, <laughs> you can get them for quite a steal nowadays, honestly. Like I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of shocked that these dirty dozen pieces haven't like uh, been more looked after because they're pretty wearable still. I mean, especially this one's like 38 millimeters, I think. So it's pretty nice. pretty big, nice. pretty bulky. The only thing that sucks is like the the lug uh, bars are kind of welded in there, uh, so yep. you yep. can only put on a NATO strap. But that's that's part of it. Um, what else? I bought off a friend like an Oris diver uh, a few years back. Never worn it, but it's uh, you know because they did the reedition, and I was like, okay, you know, for the same price, I can get the real deal. Might as well. Oh yeah, I saw the I saw the original one on your on your. It Instagram. looks almost like the the, the reedition. You, you, yeah, you. I was look when when I first looked at it, I was like, oh, he got like a special special edition one that looks really authentic and then i realized oh it's actually the yeah the problem yeah, but then, then honestly there, there's still a few like vintage pieces i'd love but honestly like even some of the more underground vintage brands have really gone up in, in price nowadays that it's become kind of restrictive mm. like i think there, there's really like some good stuff to be had like from brands like any car yeah i think i love what i love what they were doing and i think the aesthetic is pretty outstanding compared to the other stuff from the same like era but still like people are focusing on the same same couple of vintage references as well but like unfortunately what bothers me is like you know the the auctions especially one auction house i won't mention where a lot of the bloggers seem to get their panties twisted every time you know like they break this record or that record and you know like applauding and you know like I'm like mm -hmm. okay guys it's it's good that you're covering it but you're not doing yourselves any favors the day that you want to buy one you know by just adding fuel to the hype and everything but there there is still one vintage watch i, I really really want and i think after that i'm done and it's the rolex explorer steve mcqueen uh, yeah, with the big orange hand and the, that what radial it, dial. Sixteen fifty-five. Yeah, I can't. Oh, comes out with a reference. It's with one of the three. I know. I know that because that's my birth year. I remember when I was looking through fifty-five. I'll get a. I'll get a birth year. I'll get a birth year uh, Rolex, and I was looking through, and all the birth year Rolexes for me were all the most expensive ones. It was like the red. It was like the red sub. The Steve McQueen Explorer. I was like, okay, I give up on this on this project. It's not going to work out for me. Yeah, and honestly, the, the saddest thing is when you look at prices like four or five years ago and today. I mean, and I thought it was expensive back then. Boy, that is probably the coolest one, actually. Though that is one of the coolest vintage Rolexes in my in my mind. Anyway, it's very cool. I think it is, and there, there's another one that's a bit of an oddball, still relatively okay price wise, but it's kind of going up as well. It's the Rolex fifteen thirty. So it's basically like a it's basically a date just with the oyster quartz case and bracelet, but it's an oh, automatic, yeah, yeah. but it has that very angular faceted kind of, and I just love the design of that thing. But like, again, the prices have gone up and the thing with vintage Rolex, like a lot of, well, any vintage really is that like, unless you trust the buyer a hundred percent or you're getting it from the original owner, um, you don't really know what's gone on with that piece. You don't, you know, it's not that Rolex is going to, you know, fill you in on the information or anything. Yeah, true. <laughs> it's a bit of blind luck, really. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm not very comfortable with it. So, and I don't pretend to be an expert in vintage. So, like, I'm not going to, you know, gamble my monies on that. And honestly, there's just, like, the thing is, if, if, if I was smarter and if I was, like, thinking more in terms of, you know, appreciation and value, then I'd probably buy a lot more vintage. But, I mean, again, like, an Explorer has been on my list for years and years. But then, you know, a modern or an indie or a micro brand comes up with something and you go for it and... That's kind of the dangerous thing for me, honestly, has been a lot of these micro and affordable brands. It's like, you know, you're like, eh, 2K here, you know, 1.5K there, not, no big deal. At the end of the year, you look at what you bought and like, shit, I could have bought something. Uh, <laughs> could have, uh, I think we all have that problem. It's, a, it's yeah, it's kind of, um, yeah, it's a disease. 
But anyway, you find what you like, though. That's the main thing. I, I enjoy the eclecticism, you know, like, and, and that's the funny thing. Like, I think if anybody looked at my collection, and I think I try to show like a good part of it. There, it wasn't all there on the Swiss Watch Gang uh, interview, but a lot of them were. But I think it's such a random assembly of freaking watches. It that's makes, the most interesting collections, though. It, there's zero coherence in any of it, but that's what I love. It's just, uh, you know, you know, in a hundred years from now, if if I ever have kids, because. I kind of prefer cats, but uh, <laughs> if, if I ever have kids to pass down my watches to, then you know I want my grandkids to wonder, like, geez, who the hell is our grandfather? <laughs> That's yeah, so crazy. That's what I always say about, like, if something happens to me, make sure my cats get my watch collection. <laughs> That's what I say, and people are like, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, good to know someone else that is out there that thinks, <laughs> thinks something similar. I think we're supposed to Instagram recommendations. Yeah, let's do some Instagram recommendations. If I've got any, it's been uh, it's been so so entertaining. I've been just sitting back here, sort of relaxing and just you know listening to your dulcet tones. I'm here. We'll have to. Mine? No, not yours. <laughs> <laughs> I got fed up listening to your tones. But I'll, when we go, we'll have to. We'll have to. We're gonna go and um, we're gonna visit Amir when we get over there and check out Lausanne. Oh, it's should. a great little town. I love Lausanne. I, I, I still, I still, it's the place that I miss the most. Really into it, and I think is for the for town. It's such a nice place. But we'll get over there, and we've got to do some um, Instagram checks. What are we gonna do? Some Instagram recommendations. Uh, I think I filled you in on that before. Did I? Did I not warn you of that? You have to yeah, come you, up did, with somebody. you did. Apart from your this, just just on the but what did you say before? The product eight in Bahrain. Are they the guys? Is it called product, product eight? eight? That's not that doesn't count. But I'm gonna I'm gonna. It's for me. Product eight in Byron. Project eight, sorry. Project with a K though. Um, Okay. Yep. So project eight, and yeah, he's a retailer, but I love it because it's kind of like a. You could call it probably the first like horological concept store in the Middle East, I guess, where it's right, like yep. mostly indie or micro brands. Yes. And then you know they have they have like all the you know MVNF, Lippe, Clocks, oh, nice. and all that. Okay. Uh, so, so I love that focus. Um, good guys. Yep. But lately I've been following, I mean, a new one I've been following. I mean, I'll just, you know what? Let me just show you my list quickly. I just started following last week, I think, uh, Horo Mario Bro. I don't know if you... <laughs> We've had him. Done. We've had him, have we? Yeah, we had him not long. Yeah, yeah okay. Okay, different one. Next. <laughs> you, can't, you can only have one. Be you can't have more than yeah. one, but you've got to have a one we haven't had. <laughs> Put him on the spot now. And if you uh, get three th- wrong in a row, then we just delete the whole episode that you record. <laughs> you have to come back on next time. <laughs> okay, fine, fine, fair enough. You respawn. What, what happens in uh, Call of Duty? You, you respawn someplace else and you have to start a new podcast. Yeah. Start all over again. I always try to go for a revenge kill after, but yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. It's very satisfying. Um, yeah, there, there, there's this little account I started following, uh, Fifth Wrist. I don't know if that reason at all. Oh, no, uh, no, that is hopeless. That hopeless. <laughs> no, but you know what? I, I've been following a couple of, like, listen, a couple of collectors as well. I mean, like, with very, I guess, particular tastes. Um, there's one goes by KH. MT2. So I just started following him lately, but he has a nice mix of like, you know, modern, vintage, a lot of vintage, a lot of like vintage Roger Dubies, which I kind of like. Um, I don't know okay, why H-M-T2. lately I've been having a bit of a fetish for those early Roger Dubies, I think. Uh, kind of like, overlooked, but I like think people sympathy? are catching You like the sympathies? Yeah, I like yeah. the sympathies. But there's yeah. the ones with like, the, the, you know, the form following crystals, I think. Yes. Uh, I know where one of those might be coming up for sale soon. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'll keep you in mind. KHMT2. Oh, yeah, the second picture. Yeah, okay. What's the second picture? There is a Roger Dubuis Sympathy. 
sympathy. Uh, okay, there's also if you're interested, I'm also following a bunch of like really up and coming um, indie watchmakers that are sort of working on their first like project watches and that kind of thing. Is he a lad, Alex? Is he a lad? He's got another one. Oh, okay. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, because I'm not sure about the KHMT two one. It sounds familiar to me, and he uh, is following Fifth Wrist, and might be him. someone that I've been begging to do a review on his Roger de Bouy. Uh, all right, <laughs> possibly, or he might have done a review before. But okay, so we'll give hey, you. What's the next one? We can have two. <laughs> we didn't let Max. We we we, we Max might Booster have had like five Max. or something. Yeah. He, yeah. He, so he no no. <laughs> yeah. okay what's the next one okay uh i don't know if you've heard of second second yeah so, we know him. Yep. okay fine well, <laughs> I don't I do. Anything do you know him um alex the guy that does uh, the like uh old um takes old watches and puts a new second hand second hand is that the one isn't it second i do hand? i'm yeah. familiar Our with hand, him sorry. but i'm yeah. not sure if he's oh he's recommending i think i have or maybe not but I, I love what he's doing and not just the actual products, but just their way of like communicating and That's posting. That's Super like, I, I just love that, love that whole like low budget kind of improvised. Yep. It, it's Paris. funny, but it's like, yeah, and especially like he doesn't have a typical French sense of humor, which I can appreciate. I mean, no offense to the French, but they're not the funniest. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep that one. I can we'll use that. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, good, good one. Okay. That's fine. Are you got no more, have you? No, you can't have any more. I've got a couple. <laughs> what? <laughs> Okay, let's try and how many have you got? Let's see if we can beat how many did Max Busser have? Oh, he had at least four, I think. Didn't he? Three or four. But yeah. How many have you got? Well, there, there's another one I'd like to give a shout out to because I just saw their first watch. And I think, yeah, I think you're going to be hearing about these guys if you haven't already. A, a watchmaking duo um, from Renault, which is a little town oh, like yeah, no, five minutes away from Lausanne. Yep. Peterman Beda. I don't I know think... if I've talked about him, though, on, on the web, on the podcast. You've, so that's a good uh, thing. You've mentioned him, but uh, I haven't recommended yeah, I don't think I okay. recommended them. Okay, that'll, that'll well, work. honestly, I, I I got to see their prototype uh, about ten days ago, and yep. yeah, it was the best thing I've seen probably really? a year. So, so the dial is much better than the original one. Oh yeah, because oh, yeah. it was pretty. It was a bit. It was a bit average. The dial. The, the it was very was average. It was boring. It was yeah. The movement right. was always interesting. Yeah. But now they finally have like an aesthetic to go with it, and I think yeah, like awesome. and, and they're super nice guys. They know what they're doing. Good, you know, shared experience between the two. One spent a lot of time at Lange and other watchmakers. The other one is like, uh, well, actually, they both still do a lot of restoration work for uh, Christie's. So a lot of those right. fancy pocket watches and clocks and stuff, they're the ones taking care of them. And they, they're doing their watches now. And I think, honestly, like, I think they've got a bright future ahead. So who knows? Could be the next Ecrivia slash Recep Recepi. I'm just saying. Awesome. Uh, who knows? <laughs> cool. What about you, Alex? I'm going to have two today. No, you're not. Yeah, I am. Get out of <laughs> here. Breaking all the rules because I want to. I want people to follow GOS watches because I'm yeah, so okay. just in love with what they're doing. And this is the this is the great thing about having people on the podcast and going and looking at other people's Instagrams and you find out new things and new watches and so yeah, GOS watches and that's one I've just decided on. A minute ago and the other one i want to recommend is someone who i've been speaking to of who course is yeah. 
I mean, Rob gets really upset because I speak to people all over the world on Instagram (laughs) and I always say I've had this great conversation and I speak to people and I have, like, I stay up all night and I message them about watches and their collecting and the industry (laughs) and their hopes and dreams and the last time they cried and all kinds of stuff, how many cats they've got. And Rob gets really upset. I don't get upset. Anti-social get and he doesn't speak to anyone. So... (laughs) My recommend, my proper recommendation is Carlos is crazy for the number four watches. Aha. Uh-huh. I'll look that up. Carlos is crazy for watches. Count Watchula, he's got his name down as. <laughs> okay, found it. Is he uh, in Spain or somewhere? Or <laughs> Does it matter? No, no, really. Might be, just it, well, Count Watchula, he might be, where was in Count Dracula Transylvania. from? Romania. Transylvania. Like Romania, maybe? I don't Romania, know. yeah. So he might be half Romanian, half Spanish. <laughs> Wallachia, <laughs> I think it was called back in the day. Well, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not trying to teach Wallachia. anyone anything on this podcast, okay? <laughs> not too much info. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, sorry. Good. Okay. Okay, yep, so that's my two. Okay. You had two. I'm not going to have any because you've had two. <laughs> Everyone else said over the quota, so I'm going to just not say anyone. Um, Come on, you'd have one, Rob. What about Watches TV? We had him before, Marc Andre. I think we have. Uh, I don't think we have. Mad. Mad. Good old Mad. Well, I'm going to have him anyway. So he's mine today, okay? Um, Amir knows him. I know Watches he's a, he's TV. A, watches TV. The Watches TV, exactly. Yes. He's always got lovely spectacles. Yeah, he's always got good spectacles. I wish I was brave enough to wear <laughs> spectacles. I feel like if I was brave enough to wear spectacles like that, I'd seem like a more interesting person. You would, uh, actually. Just, yeah. Because you're not interesting now. I know. I need the glasses. <laughs> I need the glasses to raise my glasses. game up a little bit. <laughs> you got the facial hair and the the hair and the, the mane and stuff. You need the bike, as Paul said. You need the bike, the, 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 okay. the cafe racer. Yeah, okay. Well... That's been awesome. Thanks, Amir. That's been really, yeah, really, fun. really super. Two hours flew by. It did. It did. We went fast, man. Um, if you listen to a few of our shows before, you've you've heard the ones with Paul and stuff. This the, the our author I hope friend not. of the show. No, you wouldn't. Uh, you know, he wouldn't have come, he wouldn't have come on if you listened to other episodes. No, that's true. True. Okay. <laughs> anyway, go and go go and tell people to listen to us, uh, Amir, and we'll, and we'll tell that, say we'll that to, to the listeners as well. Go and go go and leave a review on fifthwrist.com. Um, Go and like and subscribe to everyone connected with it. Basically, Alex always gets gets upset because I can't say what people should be doing at the end, who they should be following, what they should be doing. Send us an email, do a review, but I don't care. Just, okay. just go. I'm, I'm just, I'm accepting it, Rob. I'm accepting Good. Yeah. the end. Oh, I'm of glad the you finally come a, around to accepting it. A schmozzle, as you would say. It's so a freaking schmozzle. Okay. <laughs> thanks very much Amir much appreciated thank you guys for having me really thank you we'll do this again yeah it's been, been great thank you very much thanks for listening everybody and uh, stay on top Fifth Wrist is by the community for the community we would love you to join the crew via our group chat on Slack Email us at contact at fifthwrist.com and join the movement.